forget everything you've ever heard about dieting. What if you could eat the foods you love and find a way to get fit that was actually enjoyable? Welcome to Have It All with Devin Alexander. The chef from TV's Biggest Loser has lost 70 pounds and kept it up for over 30 years. She has also helped others to stop yo-yo dieting and actually transformed their lives. Now, here's your host, Devin Alexander. Hey everyone, welcome back. I know it's kind of been a while between the holiday and uh, some of my touring, so I apologize for not being here live, but I'm back and I'm excited and I have the most fun guest today ever uh, because not only is she a transformational business coach, she's my sister. Yes, you're going to get to hear from my sister. And remember, you can call in live if you want. So if there's any pressing questions you want to know about me, today would be a good day to get the dirt, um, which she will probably just volunteer anyway as my guess. But first, uh, let's jump into our jelly bean update. Uh, so she's amazing is the, the biggest update I have. Uh, I'm still, for those who haven't been following completely, I'm still in a holding pattern. Uh, I won't find out until the end of September now if they terminate the parental rights, even though no one has come forward at all yet. So the more time that goes by, um, the more chance I have in keeping her because the longer people wait, the more... Uh, like the better a reason they'd have to have for suddenly wanting her now um, and to be taking her away from the amazing bond that we have. Um, And also for those who don't know, when you hit six months of caring for a child, you actually have a legal bond with them. So um, before that, like five months and 29 days, I would have had no say at all. Couldn't even say a word to the court. Now, if someone did come forward, even though we don't foresee that, Um, I would at least be able to state a case. So that's basically the deal, but she's amazing. She's the best decision I've ever made and I'm exhausted. Um, I'm truly exhausted. It's, uh, it's hard to run a business and to, um, you know, be there for her as much as I want to and still dealing with a little bit from the car accident. But that said, it's also easy because she makes my life so much happier. So um, that's basically, as I said, I'm kind of in this holding pattern, um, unless something shocking happens, but, uh, I'm just going to stay in the holding pattern and keep you updated from there. Uh, so now my sister, Leslie Simone is a sought after executive coach and lecturer who has been maximizing the results of CEOs, founders, and executive teams at fortune 100 fortune global 500 companies and technology startups, including Medallia, GE, BASF, Standard and Poor's, BNP, Parabas, Crunchbase, Talend, and Dell EMC. Leslie has co-developed and taught for credit courses at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and Stanford's Medical School, and she's an advisor to for-profit and not-for-profit startup incubators across the country. Leslie has also co-created a coach training program whose philosophy and method is used by 40-plus colleges and universities, including MIT, Columbia, Yale, Rutgers, NYU. In this capacity, she trains dozens of business professionals to live extraordinary lives and to become certified business coaches around the country. Leslie draws on 20-plus years of experience as an entrepreneur in organizational design, an award-winning enterprise 
sales executive and a student of high performance to swiftly identify key obstacles and provide the shift in thinking and processes that unleash leaders and companies to achieve immediate increases in ROI. After 10 years of building a corporate coaching practice for a well-regarded national firm in the high-performance coaching industry, Leslie founded Climb 10 to help venture-backed technology startups build exceptional cultures and execute with speed, clarity, and focus. Leslie lives in the Bay Area of California with her husband and my adorable nephew. Um, So I'm just going to paint the picture of when Leslie started this, and you'll see why we can all learn from her. So I am three years older, even though for many, many years, I didn't exactly tell the truth about my age and put her in this awkward position of trying to uh, (laughs) explain whether she was the older or younger sister, which I always appreciated. But I am, in fact, three years older. And picture this. She had this adorable pink room, pastel pink walls with this beautiful canopy that had like lace on it. It was a queen size and she would sit right in the middle of it and basically hold court. So I would have a challenge and granted at that age, I had tons of challenges because as we all know, I was really overweight and picked on and I knew nothing and I was repressed in so many ways. So my three year younger sister, um, picture me at 16 and her at 13, I would come in her room and she would advise me. From her little tuffet, um, which I guess she never really stopped doing. And thus, it makes perfect sense to me that she would be doing what she's doing right now. Um, I know, Leslie, that, well, first of all, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Devin. It's fun when our work lives intersect. I know. Um, I think one of the things that I want to jump into right away is your quote, science of habits, because I think so many people know that there are things that they want to do, like work out, um, me being one of them sometimes. And I should note that Leslie is in ridiculously good shape. And when we were kids, she used to, am I allowed to tell them that you (laughs) you eat a ridiculous amount of food? (laughs) Um, And it was so frustrating to her older sister. But now she is so disciplined. It is crazy. I mean, like, I don't even know how she does it. She literally sees food as fuel and she's you know, a mother, she had her child naturally and she was in perfectly good shape like 15 minutes later. So um, she's a great person to talk to us about the science of habits. Absolutely. And as you shared, I work with executives, but I want to let your listeners know that, you know, executives are also sons and daughters and often parents and spouses and spouses and lovers and heads of households and volunteers. And we all really have the same life problems and emotions and hopes and capacity to dream. And we doubt and get scared and all of that. So if I'm talking about what happens, you know, when I'm coaching business executives or human beings, like we're all really ultimately the same. Um, So the science of habits This has been one of the most profound shifts in my practice because I started with a foundation that was very logical and very thoughtful and methodical and it helped people, you know, really look at how they think and how they act and the results they get and even reverse engineer that. But sometimes I still found that when I was giving 
you know, either coaching advice or setting people into structures that with all the best intentions and all the best effort and when people would put even a lot of, you know, time and thought and would write assignments that sometimes they still couldn't seem to figure out how to shift some of their ingrained habits, which makes a lot of sense. We've been doing them for many, many decades. So one of the things that I started to research is that that there is really a science of habits and you can identify the components of what has you, you know, be able to change a behavior. We've all heard of people, even, you know, Devin, you yourself have gone from, you know, struggling with weight and then you put a program in place that really helped you now for 30 years, you know, essentially just engage in new habits. So, you know, what I often teach clients is, and this is um, also from the Power of Habit book, which I highly recommend, um, that basically you can identify what's called a habit loop. There's a cue, the thing that makes you get triggered into that, what I'll call routine, right, of that habit that you don't want to be doing. And then there is a reward. And if you can just look and say, okay, when what triggers me? Is it, you know, do I, I want to stop swearing. Hmm. I only ever seem to swear when I'm in traffic or I only ever seem to swear under the following conditions. I have people actually write down, like, when do you find yourself falling into this pattern most? And that's the cue. And then the routine is the thing, as I said, and then the reward. Now, the reward, you might say, well, sometimes the reward's obvious. I get to eat the cookie or I get to do X, Y, and Z. But sometimes, let's just take the, you know, the cookie example. Sometimes if you look and you track the pattern of, hmm, it seems like I always break my commitments at three o'clock each day. Well, it might not even be about the cookie. It might be about, like that cue might be like, okay, it's three o'clock. I go, I walk to the cafeteria, I have a chat, I go talk to friends and eat my cookie and then go back to my desk. What we found is that a lot of times people aren't even necessarily needing that cookie. It's they might be looking for a break from work. They might be looking for that human connection. So we start to play with an experiment with, hmm, let me start changing my behavior and do an experiment. What if I, at three o'clock, instead of going to get the cookie, I just went to the cafeteria and chatted with someone, or I just went to my friend's desk and chatted with someone and then came back. How do I feel? And I have people write down the feeling after that process and do different things. Sometimes get the cookie, sometimes you know, go see a friend, sometimes go do other things. I did this with a client and he realized that, you know, he's an amazing, successful CEO. However, he would scream at his at his um, colleagues and he did, obviously wasn't committed to that behavior. And I said, okay, write down the times where you blow up and let's like make a log for two weeks. And he blew up and he found that, wow, 90% of the times he blew up, it was right after he had his morning coffee because he's already such an intense personality who has so much energy. And then that caffeine boost sent him over the top and he was just too aggressive. So he actually now schedules his creative time between 10 and 1130. So he's not interacting. And I said, well, could you just stop drinking coffee? He's like, no, I'm Argentinian. I need my coffee. 
Uh, so we had him design creative time where he needed that extra energy boost. And in the times when he did absolutely have to have meetings in those times, he simply doesn't have the coffee then. And that's worked tremendously for him. So it's really a fun game to experiment with. Huh. So basically, if someone is having trouble going to the gym, yes, what would you suggest along these lines? So I often, that one, we look at the pattern of how often do you go? When are you successful? All of those things. But I often take that one in baby steps. I first ask them, um, okay, how many times do you successfully make it to the gym? And if it's very few, then I have them put the structures in place because sometimes that one is simply, you know, the structures in advance, right? The mm-hmm. You might not be putting it in your calendar. Like when I wasn't getting to the gym because my work was so busy, I actually, believe it or not, scheduled all of my workouts in my calendar before I scheduled any business meetings. They were all blocked out. Nobody could overbook them. I couldn't put anything over them. So it would just have me in that schedule and that routine then. If people have it in their calendar, but then they're like, no, I don't want to, or I don't feel good or whatever, I then do baby steps. So it's a combination of shifting habits and the process of a gradient. And baby steps say, okay, all you have to do is get dressed and get to the gym. You don't have to work out. Because sometimes the psychological feeling of like, oh my God, the gym's going to get me so tired or my ankle hurts or I don't feel well or whatever is enough to prevent us from taking that leap. So I have allowed people to simply make a promise that says, okay, I'll get dressed, go to the gym. If I don't feel like working out when I get there, then I'm allowed to come home and you're still in compliance, right? You're still in integrity, right? And as I'm sure you can imagine, once you get some over some of those hurdles, you're at the gym, you're like, oh, well, this is silly. Let me just do a couple. <laughs> right? So there's a lot of fun games we can play. And that's the other thing I want to point out that I'm all about gamification. I am all about making this stuff fun because there is so much guilt and so much pressure and so much stuff that's, you know, constantly bombarding us that the more we can just make things into games, the more we succeed, the more it turns out. I have an example with clients. They say, oh, I don't have time to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, I understand this person's upset with you because you never return her or his emails. Do you return those fantasy football emails when the World Cup's on or when, you know, your favorite sports team? Don't you see everyone in your work setting or everyone going and like 50 emails come flying back and forth? Why? Because it's fun, because there's not the emotional and psychological drama. So I help make things fun. So then, you know, it, it trumps the emotional stuff and the fear. Right. Okay. So we have three minutes before break. So um, I know that you've done this brilliantly with clients, but I've also known know that you've done this brilliantly with yourself. Okay. And just in the interest of making this super fun, do you mind sharing one of the things that you did to overcome something? Absolutely. Because we are all human. Absolutely. So let's see, what's my favorite one? Uh, probably I would say, um, the, 
the sh- the shyness one is I think my biggest thing. I it was a combination of anxiety and shyness. So I, you know, you know, now I speak to lots of people and it's something I absolutely love to do, but when I grew up I was very very shy. So I put myself in a practice of um, putting myself in smaller, like smaller situations where I like preloaded what I was going to talk about, not in a canned way, but I was always like intimidated in, um, you know, casual situations and like party situations. And even in business settings, I was like, I knew my material really well, but I was always worried about small talk. So I would think I shifted my context to, you know, curiosity about the other person. And then before I would go to any meeting, I would just simply ask myself, what am I genuinely interested in finding out about that person? And I would just do that. Like I put a promise in place and a practice in place where I would just ask myself that question. I'd have a couple things I'd really want to learn. And then the conversations would be absolutely fluid. And the cool thing is I completely forgot about myself and my anxiety and that I was even there. It was just, it became about them and a deep connection at the same time. So I could be present because I wasn't worried about, oh my God, I'm not going to have anything to say. You know what? I love that. And it's funny because I guess we really are related. (sighs) Um, I I know a lot of people don't believe me when I say I'm also shy. And the reason that I can get up in front of people is you're so right. It's the education piece. Like I'm focused on what I can teach someone and the change that I can make in the world. But in the small talk situations and around men, I'm still really super shy. Mm. So it's kind of funny. Okay, well, we have to go to break now. But when we come back, we're going to talk about self-esteem because I know, well, I know Leslie thinks this and I do too, is a lot of people think everybody else has self-esteem and you don't. But the truth is most people are insecure. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about getting over it and a ton of other fun stuff. And again, if you want to call in feel free stay tuned everyone this is the voice america influencers channel be inspired tune in to the spotlight with tony dierso for an entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussion with some of the top stars in their fields, from business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, literature, and current events. If you're looking for what's next and comparing it to what's now or what's past, look no further than The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers you are listening to have it all with devin alexander to reach the show today please call 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am back with an amazing business coach who also has happens to be my sister. Uh, 
as I had said in the beginning, Leslie is uh, someone who I have gotten advice from for my whole life. I mean, literally, she was so cute when we were kids. When people did things she didn't like, she would just be like, that's okay. I'm going to go to Jamaica and make beads. Like, she never got upset. She never loses her temper. Um, she always has great solutions for everything. So um, after getting her master's in gemology, which fit into the I'm going to Jamaica to make beads thing, um, she transitioned into becoming a coach many, many years ago, which is just such a perfect fit for her personality. And we were just talking about um, changes in behavior. I wanted to share one thing that at one point she suggested that I put a practice. We were talking about practices that can launch you or promises to yourself that can make you do things that you want to do. So at one point when I was struggling with my weight, she suggested that every time I overate, I forced myself to wear Daisy Dukes for 24 hours. (laughs) And honestly, I never wore the Daisy Dukes. Like when you're truly committed to something like that, it's amazing how you're not going to eat that thing you didn't want to eat. Um, again, though, you have to truly commit to it. And I'm sure Leslie will agree with that. Like you can be like, Oh, if I do that, I know, Leslie, actually, can we jump back into that just a tiny bit before we move on to self-esteem? I know there was one thing that you, I mean, you use money a lot. Like you're going to throw a $20 bill in the toilet if, can can we give people some examples so they can really maybe set one of these practices during the next break? Absolutely. And we call this the language of accountability. You set up a promise and you set up a consequence. And when I first teach people about promises and consequences, sometimes they think of a consequence as a punishment. Like, oh, I don't want to punish myself. But I encourage you to frame this awesome tool of promises and consequences like cause and effect. If we don't pay our rent or mortgage, you know, they're going to take the house away. If we walk in front of a moving car in the street, you know, splat, right? It's, it, life is cause and effect. So putting a promise and a consequence in is an incredibly empowering way of you saying, hey, I'm going to design a promise that I'm committed to in my strong moments. When I have clarity and when my emotions aren't running wild, I'm going to put the promise in that would be an exact match for my dream life. And then you put a consequence in place that by doing it, it helps you not get the bigger disaster later, right? So if we eat a cookie, we don't have like 50 pounds on our thighs the second we eat a cookie. If we smoke, you know, our lungs don't collapse the very minute we smoke. So the the concept of designing a consequence is to put something in that's going to ding you, that's immediate, apparent in your face, and you feel that burn right away. So you can immediately correct your actions before you get into real trouble or to avoid continuing to be in trouble. Yeah. So, yes, I use money a lot, but I only have people have to pay money if they are already, like, they can't be in debt. I can't, like, hurt their financial position more. It's best, money is a great consequence for people who are very particular about their money, don't want to spend extra money, you know, count their dollars, particularly like that. So money's awesome for that set of people. Money's also great, um, 
to have to donate to a cause you would never donate to. So I don't let people say, (laughs) well, if I eat a cookie, I'll donate to, you know, the kids charity down the street because that'll make you feel good. No. So I had to do one. um, Yes, I am revealing a lot here. Uh, I broke up with a boyfriend and I didn't want to sleep with him anymore, but I loved him to death and he was lovely. We just decided we didn't want to be together and I was looking for my one. And I knew if I kept hanging out with that ex-boyfriend that I would not go focus my energy and attention on finding my one. So I put a consequence in place that I would have to pay my brother a thousand dollars if I (laughs) my ex-boyfriend. And I tell you, there was a night, there was a moment where if that consequence were not in place, I would not have kept my word. And why it was great to do it with my brother is because he was already a successful business executive. And that would be painful for me who, you know, hadn't achieved my, you know, Uh, financial freedom yet to then go give him a thousand dollars. So that was awesome and helpful for me. Uh, We often use vanity. So for example, if you won't go outside without, you know, beautiful makeup, or if you always need to wear heels or, you know, guys sometimes, you know, have to gel their hair. So I'll consequence people. They're not allowed to wear makeup for a week or they're not allowed to curl their hair. or They're not allowed to do some of these vanity things. Another good one is, um, you know, recreational pleasures. Sometimes I'll take away a guy's um, Saturday soccer with the boys if he, you know, doesn't keep his commitments during the week or uh, what are some other good ones? One time I had to, I was living in New York at the time and I had to go, you know, a hundred blocks north up to Harlem and sweep my colleague's porch if I didn't (laughs) for the end of month report that I was a jerk about sending, right? I was always into the future. I was like, ah, accounting, reporting. I don't like that stuff, right? But that's horrible of me as an executive, nonetheless, to have her have to chase me down. So I did that. And the minute I put that consequence in place, never had to go up and sweep her porch. And the final one was, I do not, it's fine. That's fine. We'll go on. Sorry, I rambled. No, no, not at all. I I actually really like this because I do think that a lot more people are stuck than are willing to admit it. And um, I am wondering, like, if someone, I guess when they're coaching with you, they're probably going to actually do the things a little more. And as I said, I should have said when I was talking about the Daisy Dukes, like, I was really overweight at the time. Like, there was no way I could go out and Daisy Dukes. Um, so, and I mean, it would have just been mortifying. Like I even remember saying at the time, like I couldn't be in front of executives. Like I, it would ruin my career. And you were like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And I mean, that's the whole point is like, come up with something that's so brutal that it's going to make you not do the thing. Yes. So, and I think in my case, it was like eating too, way too much at night, which has always been a thing for me. I mean, like always been a thing that I don't do it anymore all the time, but I mean, I still do on occasion just for anybody who's wondering, yes. but that's sort of my time where I seek comfort. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I find myself wanting to eat half of the chocolate chips and God knows what else. Yep. Um, but so what do you do if you have a client who like tries to blow off or what would you suggest to somebody at home who tries to blow off the commitment? Like where do they look in themselves? Well, you can ask, like you can certainly look at yourself first and say, okay, am I truly committed to this goal? Because if somebody tells me they absolutely are doing everything they can to, you know, 
get that next promotion or uh, to your point at home, um, you know, lose that weight, then you have to say, well, I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't think you're really committed to having, you know, that fit lifestyle. And why is that there are, you know, there are steps, if you're willing to take those steps, there are steps to um, do that. And I can guarantee you will lose the weight if you follow this one, two, three step plan. So that's the first thing to just get honest. Like, are you, you know, are you really committed to this? Because some clients say, no, I love my chocolate chip cookies. I don't care. Like, I would hate to live your life of all your green smoothies and your juices and all that. Ew, I want my fun. I'm like, rock on. There's no judgment. So the first thing is to just look inside yourself and say, am I really committed to this lifestyle versus that lifestyle? Because one lifestyle comes with certain behaviors and practices that you might not be committed to. Um, But the second thing is if somebody says, no, I swear, I genuinely am committed. I just can't like break that habit. Then the best thing to do is to have the consequence be with people in your family. So for example, if mommy, um, you know, I'm just making this up. If mommy has two glasses of wine when she only promised one, I have to take you and your friends to a movie and go whatever, right? Like there are things, whatever you can do with your family. So guess what? Your daughter is going to be at your door and asking you those questions, right? Did you have your wine? Did you not? Right. Same thing. Your husband, your spouse, like whoever notices the behavior, whoever knows and sees the behavior is the best person. I often get the email addresses of the spouses of my clients because I can't monitor them at home. Right. So, and then they're in, in cahoots with me and it's all in service of that client. Right. So there's, I can't think of anybody that doesn't live inside relationships and relations. I'm not even talking about a love relationship. I'm saying, uh, mother, a father, a spouse, a son, you're something to someone in your world, right? And that person can help you track and stay accountable. And then that person is the recipient of the consequence. Figure out the thing they want, and they will be sure to be tracking if you're doing what you say you'll do. (laughs) Yes, I know somebody like would swear in front of their kids every once in a while, and they would give them money um, every time. But yeah, I mean, I love that. And again, like, I feel like so many experts say, I I don't want to say the same thing, but have like such an integral point that like, it's so much easier, especially when we're talking about weight loss to have a buddy. Well, I guess maybe I shouldn't even say about weight, especially about weight loss. But since that's kind of what a lot of people here are struggling with, um, it is interesting. I mean, I do think that trying to do anything on an island by yourself is 10 times as hard. So the more camaraderie you can get around it, the better. Yep. All right. So, so I said we were jumping into self-esteem. Can I, so just, can I just say one thing just to oh, summarize yeah. for clients? So, or for, sorry, clients, uh, for listeners. Um, ask, so the first thing is just ask yourself, do you really want that thing? Right. So when I ask, you know, business executives, their dreams and a guy will say, oh, well, my biggest dream is to be a professional baseball player. Like the reality is maybe you don't want to be on the road and chew tobacco and not be, you know, with your family and have your arm sore. And right. So the first thing is ask yourself, is it your dream? The second thing is make sure that your promise is measurable and specific. So you can't say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym more or I'm going to be nicer to my husband. That does not work. It's 
I'm going to go to the gym and do like two times a week, 45 minutes each, this kind of cardio, right? It has to be so specific because, you know, we're naturally, we're good people, but we're naturally finding ways to cheat the system. So make sure it's measurable and specific. Then make sure your consequence is set up that is something that would have you, if you forget to do that thing, actually get out of bed and go do that thing, right? And it can't be um, in service of another human being that would make you feel good. The only exception is if you're hurting somebody in your life, like swearing at your children or yelling at your husband, you absolutely can owe that spouse, you know, a 30-minute massage or something you know, that's restorative. That's the only time. It can't be like, oh, I feel good donating. Um, And then to your point, Devin, have a buddy. Those are the major things. There's a whole other, you know, there's a whole world around it, but those are the key things to improve your chances of success. Very cool. Okay. So self-esteem. I know this is a really interesting topic because a lot of people look at other people, especially these days on social media and think that that person has it all together or that person like has the best body and I don't or that person this or that person that. And I mean, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of it myself. Like I try to spend as little time as possible on social media these days because 30 Instagram posts later, I'm like, wow, that person's having fun. Wow, that person's having fun. Wow, that person's having fun. And the truth is, like, all these glammy photos, like, I'm having fun, too. I'm just not at seven different resorts and, you know, in love. I mean, I'm in love with Jelly Bean. I'm not in love with a partner. But as I said, I think it's really easy to go down this rabbit hole, especially today's day and age. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about self-esteem because I know that you have a lot of insights on this. Sure. Absolutely. So basically self-esteem comes from us learning to look inside for the source of pride. So it's really about deciding first your values, your thoughts and behaviors that you respect and striving to achieve that each day for yourself. You can never twist yourself into enough pretzel twists to make everybody happy anyway. And that changes all the time, what people want and need and whatever from you. So the best source is to just design that for yourself. And then all the practices we're talking about, like shifting habits and shifting this and that's just execution. We can totally show you how to do that. The first is just to say, you know what, I'm going to look inside and decide, did I, would I give myself a 10 today or not? And then the cool thing is every single day you get to clean the slate and try again, right? If you weren't where you wanted to be. Yes. And I want to take an opportunity right now to say that Leslie actually practices this stuff so much so that there was a time period where we were just... Um, I don't know, not aligned as much as we had been in <laughs> we previous. It's no, okay. I mean, like, we're sisters. <laughs> we're supposed to fight every once in a while, right? We can tell people that. And um, I don't know, for whatever reason, like, we've always loved each other. And Leslie has always been the person that I know that I could talk to about anything. But there have been times where we just, I don't know, for whatever reason, we were rubbing each other wrong and whatever. And Leslie would actually call me and be like, what would the Russian judge give me as a 
a sister today if you were to put up a scorecard. And I just thought it was the sweetest thing in the whole world. Because as I said, people can spew this stuff. And I know a lot of people do. And, you know, I've dated people who are gurus, allegedly, and then they're not practicing at all what they preach. But but Leslie really, like, transformed our family to make everyone closer. And as I said, like, really at a time where she could have just been like, Devin's a pain, I'm not dealing with her, like would call me and see how she was doing as a sister, which of course then just warms your heart. And then you're like, Ooh, I have to, I have to get a, a 10 also. Um, and you just want to be better for that person. So. And Devin also similarly, like Devin, you know, put herself in a practice. I can't remember how long ago it was, but she would reach out in some way every day when we were just disconnected, right? Either email or text or how are you, da, da, da. So Devin absolutely is living and practicing this too. And um, even though, like what the standard I hold myself to, so remember I just said, create your values. The values I create for myself and standards for myself are not to be perfect. Like I, for so long, I thought somehow if I worked hard enough, I'd be able to get it right and do it all perfectly. But eventually, um, after, you know, herniated discs and ulcers in my 20s, right, killing myself, like making myself so stressed out about, you know, life and am I good enough and all of that stuff, I decided that my value was just my commitment to self-improvement, my commitment to living my values, whatever they may be, versus, you know, did I do every last action exactly the way I wanted? I also wanted to circle back to something you said earlier, Leslie never loses her temper. Well, it's so sweet of you to have that experience of me, but I, for all the listeners, please know that there are moments I just, do absolutely lose my temper. But then I hold myself accountable to go back and not only apologize, but also put myself in a consequence if I do it again. Um, Because I want that other person to know that they, like, they're very important to me. And it's just me working through me uh, and myself and my own evolution. And I don't want it to negatively impact them. So I put myself in a consequence to help them understand how much I honor my relationship with them, even if my behaviors aren't ideal yet. Okay, well, that gives people food for thought to think about what kind of behaviors that they want to change and what kind of consequences, um, which is perfect timing for our break. So I'd love for everyone to think about that. And when we come back, we are going to elaborate this more. And I also want to jump into perfection a little bit because I, uh, I don't think we're the only two who've had that disease. So stay tuned, everyone. follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel if you think you've seen online tv before let us surprise you voiceamerica.tv is online now the leader in live internet talk radio has done it again multiple channels a state-of-the-art viewing experience live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day it's exactly what you want when you want it voiceamerica.tv from health and wellness to business sports and everything in between discover our new world visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television voiceamerica.tv Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Have It All with Devin Alexander. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here with Leslie Simone, who's a business strategist and coach, and my sister. Um, We're having a ton of fun today with our sister talk, letting you in. Um, Leslie was talking about how she was perfectionistic in her 20s, and uh, her big sister has also had that, uh, I guess we'll call it issue or problem, because I really do think it's a problem. Um, And everybody heard um, Samantha Edison here talking about how when life, when you try to make everything perfect, it's everything falls apart. And instead, she has this book called The Pie Life, where it's the gooey pieces of pie are best anyway. And I love all these examples that people give because it's so true. Um, I'm trying so hard to be a great mom now and run my business and, you know, spend time doing my rehab for my injuries and all sorts of things. And honestly, like my weight has gone a little bit. And I'm just kind of giving myself a break on that. I mean, I'm trying and I'm working on solutions um and it's not gotten out of control and I I mean I am like losing a little bit and last week when I was away I was working out every day again which was really nice because I had like people around to watch Jellybean who really wanted to spend time with her and all of that so just remember that like sometimes doing too much and working too hard like I did just just destroys the big picture and when I finally decided to take time for family and you know, pursue jelly bean. Like everybody's like, how do you look so not that I look that great, but on the me scale, like, how do you look like you're glowing all the time when you're an exhausted mom and you're doing all these things. And it's just like, cause I'm so freaking happy coming home to her. Like it was really hard for me to be single at my age and going on crappy dates and coming home alone. And now if I go on a crappy date, I like have no problem being like, okay, gotta go. And, uh, and running home to her and just like, even if I'm just looking at her monitor, cause she's asleep, it makes me so happy. Um, so just remember that, um, Leslie, uh, I know has a lot of other good insights. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is whether or not Leslie, um, or how one decides if a goal is actually worth pursuing. Um, cause I know we can go down these rabbit holes of like, you know, oh, I should do this and run down. Like, how do you structure it so you can figure out if if it's something you can really do, if you should do, all of that? Sure. And it's great to both figure out if you should do a goal or not, right? Like, is it something you care about? Like, should meaning, is it something you really care about? Is it going to be aligned with your dreams and values? And then also... 
where do I really stand right now? Like, what are my chances at this moment? Not that things couldn't change, but where do I even stand at this moment? What is the probability of success? And as a coach, I've also like be been held to help people figure out like, where is this person? Do you think this person can get to that next level, da, 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 whatever. So for myself, I devised, you know, three main factors that I've seen as requirements for people to achieve success. And now there's one caveat, which I'll cover at the end, but for most cases, this is, these are the three factors. One, is it truly your dream? Two, are you willing to do the work, whatever is required? And three, do you believe you can do or be that thing? Now, those three seem logical, but let's dive a little deeper into each one. So especially earlier in my career, I worked with people who wanted to be the leaders of large orgs. So not the CEOs, but people who wanted to be like on the executive committee or something like that. And in this process of helping them figure out like, you know, how to be their best self, I always first ask like, wait a minute, why do you want to be on the executive committee? What game-changing initiatives are you passionate about? And then oftentimes they just say, I don't know, I I just want to be an executive. I want to be there. Um, And it wasn't inspiring and it wasn't really a plan. So once you ask these questions, a couple things can happen. You can realize, wait a minute, is this really my dream or not? In one case, I was working with um, someone in finance and she absolutely wanted to be a partner in her firm. And I asked her a little more. And as we were talking, it turns out she doesn't actually respect the industry she's in. She doesn't respect her colleagues. And when we really dove deeper, she wanted to run a high-end bakery. Like she didn't even want to be. And she was one of the top people in her profession. But just because she was talented at it, not because she loved it anymore. So the first thing is, is it really your dream? It's absolutely essential to, you know, get there. Second, are you willing to do the work? Now, you might just hear that as, oh, how many hours do I have to put in? It is not about hours. Sure, you have to work hard to get, you know, things that are worthy. However, it's, are you, for example, give it back to my shy example, I was incredibly shy. I would even hyperventilate sometimes. When I was early in my sales career, I'd have to go home for lunch because I was so, you know, uh, riled up. Well, that wasn't going to work for me. So was I willing to do the work? I went and did um, comedy. Like I took comedy classes. What's the um, improv? Improv. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, You know, I did improv classes. I did other things. It's like, are you willing to do any kind of different thing that would get you to that next level? Yes or no? Does it work with your lifestyle? Does it work with, or the lifestyle you want anyway, right? And then the final thing is, do you believe you can? And this is where I would say the biggest one, because people I work with oftentimes, you know, yes, it's their dream. Yes, they're working really hard and they're passionate and they, you know, have a lot of gumption and energy, but mostly it's, do you believe you can? That's the thing that had me question if they were going to get to that next level. And I would coach them on that and start to work on how to shift the self-belief, how to shift, you know, their belief in themselves, because that's the thing that was absolutely stopping them, which is a great tie into self-esteem. If you want to talk about that, you said. 
Well, actually, I think this is great because, and I like that you elaborated because there's also, as you said, in in relation to self-esteem, like your third point saying, um, you know, do you believe you can? Um, I think so. there's so many naysayers out there. And the best example I have is when I was going to get jelly bean, like there were people who were outright committed to just spewing poison about mm-hmm. that process. Sure. And like they heard a bad experience or whatever. And, you know, I just had to be like, look, I've made the decision. Yeah. And it's a little bit different than pursuing a career, but I think that's a really understandable bit. Like someone's going to tell you that you can't be a chef on TV. Someone's going to tell you, you can't, you can't, you can't. Yeah. And even I'm in this period of reinvention in a way. Um, and I really have to get clear about, or I've had to get clear. Like, it's really easy to go, Oh my God, you know, there's people with 3 million social media followings. And while I was recovering from my injury, I wasn't on Instagram. So I'm never going to get there. So I'm never going to, never going to, never going to, never going to. Yes. But the truth is, there's always a way like, you know, now I've made myself purposefully stand out because I'm pursuing something that I'm extremely passionate about, which is helping people in the diabetes space, which is a huge audience, which puts me more in a niche and puts me back in a position where I was before the accident. Yeah. So, and like, I truly believe that people need my help really badly and all of that is, you know, you and I have discussed over time. Yeah. Um, So I think for people, like, I I just want to you know, caveat that someone's going to tell you you can't. I mean, people tell people all the time that they can't. I mean, we've had so many executives on here talk about that. Um, So, like, do you have a way, Leslie, for people to understand whether, like, how do you get the self-esteem, basically, to know um, that it's your self-esteem that's holding you back or, like, what's really holding you back and whether something is attainable? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think so. So let me see. I'll answer and then see if you have further follow-up questions. So the first thing is we do an assessment, right? So there's a model I use where we look at your thoughts and then we look at the actions you've been taking and we look at the results you've been getting. And if you're not getting the results you want, I don't focus much on actions. Like it's interesting to know if the actions have been leading to successful results or not, but it's also interesting to know like, Are you just not taking the actions or are you failing at your actions? Because usually when you're failing at your actions, it's there's some belief system that you have. So what I do is I go back to the thinking and I have people write down their negative thought log and their negative dialogue. And how you do that is simply it's like a journal. You simply um, when you have anything that's counter to you successfully having achieved that result, let's pick any result, Devin, just for the purposes of the audience. Um, I want to launch a baking business and become the next baking blogger. Beautiful. So baking business. So I would have Devin write down every thought she has. And the way to do it is you set your, you know, iPhone or whatever smart thingy you have um, five times a day, right? So you don't forget them. And then when that alarm goes off and just snooze it if you're busy, but, um, you know, five times a day, jot down what thoughts crept into my thinking um, that said I can't 
have the baking business, I'll fail at the baking business, other people are better bakers, other people are more connected, other people, whatever those negative thoughts are. And you'll see two things. One, you'll see how much time we're actually playing on the opposing team, right? We're running down the court in the other direction. We say we're on the blue team and we're actually fighting for the red team to win, yes? So, well, first, that's a huge um, bit of awareness. They say that we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them, science has shown, 80% of them are negative, meaning inconsistent with what we say we want, inconsistent with our dreams, right? Not whining and complaining, but just like, oh, well, given that so many other people have, you know, trust funds or given so many other people have this or this or this or this, I'll never succeed, but I'll keep trying, right? That's a negative thought, right? So you just start to log all of your negative thoughts and that brings the awareness up, but it also shows you your flavor of negative thoughts because each of us has a different flavor. My flavor was, well, why is this? And why is that? And why is this? And why is this kind of resisting reality, right? Um, Other people have a different flavor. So the minute you start to see your flavor, um, it could be that you're not as intelligent as other people is what you say to yourself, right? And the minute you then find your flavor, I have you go collect evidence of the opposite. Because for every belief a client has ever brought me, I can find 10 people successfully proving the opposite belief. Haven't you ever experienced people who say, oh, I was, you know, destitute. Now I figured out how to do this. Or, oh, I was in this circumstance and figured out that. Or, um, you know, by looking at your belief system and then actively choosing and putting a structure in place of, okay, I'm going to have a promise to do these three actions. I'm going to have a promise to reach out to, you know, these five people who I see have, you know, been in my situation and turned it around. They'd be happy to talk to you, right? So there's always a, a way to execute on that shift. And mostly it's by collecting the opposite evidence, like the evidence in your favor, the evidence on your team, because we usually are busy collecting evidence against ourselves. And we don't realize that that's more toxic than other people's negativity. I completely agree. So we only have two minutes to the show close. So Leslie, tell people where they can get more info from you. So www dot c-l-i-m-b-1-0.com that's climb10.com you can either check out the website or you can send me an inquiry at leslie l-e-s-l-i-e at climb10.com very cool so i wanted to just give a quick example um based on what leslie had just said before we go into close Um, long story short, when I was 38, I had a group of great girlfriends and we would go out every Friday night and everybody would talk about their horrible dates. And I would literally like, you have such a fun time, totally laughing. Like, can't believe that guy did that. Oh my God. Ha ha. We're all laughing. And then I, and think that I'd have a great evening. And then I would go home and I would climb into bed like as, I don't want to say depressed because it wasn't exactly that, but as bummed out as a girl could be thinking there were absolutely positively no men in LA and no fun to be had with it, with dating. And it occurred to me when I, I basically had to quote, break up with those girlfriends because I realized that that was such toxic 
energy, even though it seemed really fun. Now, granted, I still don't have a successful relationship, but I do have a belief that when the time is right, I will meet a great guy. And I still have a belief that not all guys are great here. And I I will fight that one, Leslie, if you try to. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I do think they're fewer and far between. But as you said, like if someone wanted to collect evidence that there are no men that are great in L.A., yes. They can find it. That said, there's plenty of married people who are really happy and striving as partners and all of that. So, again, like to close, I just want to say be careful. And Leslie's right. Like if you want to believe something, you can collect, collect, collect. Like if I wanted to believe that it's hard to foster, I have met a ton of people who had a tough time with the system. And, you know, like they didn't get this payment or they court date got extended and all of that. But the truth is, like, I've been telling people who've been wanting to foster, I'm like, at our age, in many cases, these are women my age, no matter what path you go down, it's going to be difficult. And having a baby on your own puts your body at risk at, you know, at 47. Um, And, you know, for a number of reasons, and it's more likely to have a Down syndrome baby. And again, I'm not telling anybody not to do that. um, But there are risks involved, just like there are risks involved with foster, there are risks involved with private adoption, spending a fortune and having a mom take a baby back that way. So again, like in my point is any of those cases to Leslie's point, you can come up with a million reasons why not. But if you are honest and compare like all the different situations, they're all a risk and which one is best for you and then go with it 100% wholeheartedly, make your decision, be committed to it and believe that you're going to have the right outcome. Um, and hopefully that's what I'm doing and hopefully it's going to work out for me um, and hopefully that all of your dreams will work out for you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please reach out to Leslie again, Leslie at climb10.com and make sure to tune in next week. Thanks so much, Leslie. And thanks so much to everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Have It All. Be sure to join Devin Alexander for another great show next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until we talk again, have a fit and fun week.